Sarah for doing the slides um, today. I like the color scheme, matches my shirts, I'm very happy. Um, and the sermon today is, is a three-point sermon, so it's, it alliterates, which I'm pretty happy about. I don't always do that, but it's good to um, get back into the, the old three-point alliterated sermon every now and then. Um, and we have three weeks left in Genesis 1 to 3. So today we're going to look at the image of God, and um, then next week we're going to consider the rest of uh, Genesis 2, and then Genesis 3 to 4. Um, and then um, it'll be time for Lent and the cross. So, um, three weeks left, three-point sermon, but first I want you to think of these three names. Um, Grace Tame, Dylan Alcott, Taryn Brumfit. You don't know who these three people are. Grace Tame, Dylan Alcott, Taryn Brumfit. I know Alan reads Australian newspapers, so he might have an idea. Anyone else? Alan, do you want to tell us? Yeah, yeah. Taryn Brumfit. So Grace Tame, Dylan Orcott, Taryn Brumfit, the last three Australians of the year. Um, so Grace Tame, uh, Tasmanian. Uh, she was a victim of uh, sexual abuse in high school and um, became a real advocate for removing what was called a gag order and allowing victims to speak up um, and has done a lot uh, for, for that movement and for, for justice for, for women and victims of those horrendous crimes. Dylan Alcott, um, one of the best tennis players of all time, um, but we don't know him as well as Nadal and Federer because he's a wheelchair tennis player. And he became the Australian of the Year and was an advocate um, for people with disability and um, did some fantastic stuff um, in his run as Australian of the Year. And then recently, Taryn Brumfit is a, a woman from Adelaide who's um, been a, a leading advocate in the body positive um, movement and, and speaking up against um, self-hatred and, and body negativity. And so um, what I'm excited about is that as I, I consider the last three Australians of the year, um, and like I love an Australian cricket captain, like don't get me wrong, but for many years the Australian of the year would just be like Australia's cricket captain. It's like, what a legend. But um, the last three Australians of the year have all been people who have stood up to bullies in different ways, stood up both for themselves and for other people. Um, whether it's for, for victims of um, abuse, for people with disabilities, for um, body image or body positivity. And, and what I think is going on is none of these people are Christians. But there's an impulse that's driving them that I believe is the image of God in them. And I don't just believe it's the image of God in them driving them to do um, their good work. I also believe we recognize them. And we say, you know, this person is, is worthy of celebration because what they're doing is actually celebrating the image of God in others, celebrating the, the goodness and dignity and beauty and, and value and worth and personness, as Martin Luther King would say, of, of these people. Now, what's interesting, if you consider these, these three figures, is that the people they're advocating on behalf of, in many eras of, of world history would not have been seen as worthy of any kind of advocacy. That in, in the, the times of, say, Jesus, or in the times of uh, when Genesis was being written, 
it was very normal to just diminish and silence and, and stamp on um, people that are actually loved by God, are actually made in His image. And so when we have this movement of, of celebration of, of different kinds of people who maybe have been pushed down in society in the past for like hundreds and thousands of years, it's actually a, a sign of renewal, of God doing something in the world, that there's actually some hope. And you talk to anyone on the street, and you might be a bit weirdo, but if you just go around interviewing people, like, hi, how you doing? What's your name? I don't know if you've ever seen Aaron Chen do the on the street interviews, but they're very funny. But if you did an on the street interview out here, and you said, do you believe in human rights? I reckon you'd bat a pretty good, like, 100% um, strike rate. And human rights comes from Christianity. Many people don't realise this, but, but human rights, the idea that all people are um, valuable, all people are equal, actually uh, is a uniquely Christian idea. And many historians, both Christian and non-Christian, have, have done work on this and showed that this, this clearly comes from Christianity. And so if anyone has an impulse that someone else should be treated with respect, with honour, with dignity, that we should care for the society, that we should care for the creation, that we should steward and, and restore and repair our lands, that's an impulse that actually comes from God. It's a Christian impulse. It's a creation impulse. And, and God, in His, his mysteri- mysterious ways, works even in people who don't know Him. You know, the best thing to do is know Him and uh, encounter His grace and salvation. But God even has His hand at some level on all people because we're all made in the image of God. So I just want us to think God's thoughts after Him today. To see how, um, how God's vision for, for people um, might be ours. And, and I want to start actually in the New Testament. Anyone know the name of Jesus' brother? louder. James? Do we go to James? Turn to James. Jesus had a brother called James and James wrote a letter. And Jesus' brother James in chapter 3 verse 9. James is pretty near the end of the Bible. So if you hit Revelation you've gone too far but basically apart from that go to the very end. James 3, verse 9. It says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. So from the first page of the Bible, almost to the last page, people are considered, all people are considered valuable because they're made in God's likeness. What James is saying is whenever we, whenever we curse someone, we're cursing someone who's made in God's image. Whenever we slander someone, dishonor someone, we're doing that to someone who's made in His image. So come back to Genesis 1 and 2 with me and we're going to consider uh, what is the image of God 
Uh, Genesis 1. Maybe we'll go back to, to it on the screen as well, even. Um, so God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, the livestock, the wild animals, and over everything. We've discussed already in this series that, that God saying, Us, our image, our likeness, says something about his, um, his Trinitarian nature, that he's not just a, a singular person, but um, the God is, is somehow grander and, and more uh, mysterious than that. And over time, we've worked out that um, God's revealed himself as, as Trinity. Um, and then it says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So he said created three times. And you know that if you put three in any sort of one thing, it's because like, you really love it, right? So if you're making a um, salami sandwich and you have three layers of salami, you probably love salami, right? Um, works for anything, you know. If um, I have three coffees in the morning, as part from being crazy, you know that you know, I love coffee. Um, so God puts three creators here um, because this is the centerpiece of his creation. This is the most important thing he created. And he creates mankind in his own image. Now the word... For, for man or mankind is Adam. Right? Adam means man. Now the thing is, Adam um, doesn't mean the man, like the male, because later on in, um, in the scripture it says like the Adam, which is like the male. Adam means all humankind, men and women. Which is important because it says male and female, he created them. So God's image... Is, is men and women. And God's image is men and women, not because God is like man and woman. Like God is not man or woman. God is God. But what he makes as a centerpiece of creation is humans. And, and what he wanted to do was, was make something in his image. Now the word image is, is tricky. Um, it's not sort of, we don't often think like, oh, I'm, you know, I made this, I made my Pinterest board in my image or something. Or like it's, it's kind of, we usually think of image in, in different kind of um, ways, but in the, in the biblical mindset and also in the biblical times, for a, an image of a God to be made was very common. And what you would do is you'd make an image of a God to communicate something transcendent and other and make it kind of visible. So you might have like, you know, some religions would have like donkeys, right? And that wasn't to say that their God was a donkey. But the donkey was an image to portray the God, to represent the God. And so um, in some parts of the Old Testament, an image is actually an idol and something to not bow down to. But here, God's making a representation of him in his temple, the creation. And the representation of him that he wants to put in creation is humans. And so he makes... Um, another translation for image might be likeness or representation or representative. Representative. Um, God says, let's make a representative so that they can not only look like us, but they can do what, what we do. God, what does God do? He's the ruler of the, the world. He's the Lord. And so um, 
so far in Genesis 1, he's just being called God, like um, Elohim, which just means God, like a generic word for God. But in a minute, it's going to say uh, Yahweh, Lord, like the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So God says, I want a representative not just to look like me, but to also do the things I do. So I actually rule the earth, and now I'm going to make an image to rule the earth. So he creates humans not just to, um, to look like him, but to be like him. He creates humans um, out of his love, but also out of like, his functional um, desires for the world, that, that humans would be uh, co-leaders with God over the earth, that humans would be rulers. So then it goes on, um, Genesis 1, and basically says God blessed them. He said, um, be fruitful, increase, multiply, fill the earth, have lots of babies, all of that, rule over the fish and the birds and the greyhounds and everything. Um, and uh, he says, and I give you all of the um, vegetation. I give it to you all. He's a, he's a God of abundance. He's saying, I give you everything that you could possibly want. It'll be yours for food. Anyone remember Smorgies? It's a bit dated. Smorgies, all you can eat, like buffet, but really bad quality. I read somewhere recently, it was like an all you can eat nursing home food, which I thought was a bit harsh. Um, <clears throat> I thought it was better than that. You had like the soft serve and the jelly and a sort of like frozen pizza. Smorgies, oh man. It was, I mean, these days there are, you know, there are better buffets. I know you can get like K-Barbecue, all you can eat, or you can go to those like swanky places like um, Melba's or, um, or something in between. But, um, God says the earth is a buffet. The earth is smorgies. Have, have what you would like. You are the, the kings and queens over the earth. And then um, Sabbath happens, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, so we can skip over that. And then we get to Genesis um, chapter 2, verse 4, and it says, now this is the account of like day 6. It kind of zooms into day 6, zooms into the making of the humans. If you have a little um, subtitle in your Bible, it probably says Adam and Eve. Adam means the human. It's also the name of the first human. It's only his name because it just says human. So it says this is the account of, of how um, the heavens and the earth, when they were created, and the Lord God, see it says Lord for the first time there? When the Lord God, that means Yahweh God, made the earth and the heavens. It says no shrub, nothing was on the earth, no planets sprung up, there wasn't any rains yet, um, there was no one to work the ground. So it didn't work to have kind of agriculture yet. But then all of a sudden the streams came up and then the Lord formed a man from the dust and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. So not only, this is really interesting, not only does the Hebrew word for man um, is Adam, the Hebrew word for ground is Adamah. So um, the, the Genesis writer does this really cool sort of poetic thing where he says, um, the man, the Adam, came from the ground, the Adamah, and then the life, the breath of, the, um, the breath of life, which the Hebrew word is Haim, and then um, became a living being, and the Hebrew word for living is Hayah. So, what, what 
the writer of Genesis is doing is saying the man came from the, the ground and from the breath of God, from the source of life. And so the human is essentially somewhere in between ground and God. That's what the human is. The human is not ground. The human is not God. It's this like beautiful amalgamation of God takes from the ground but breathes from himself. And we have humans. And that's how the human is, is made in the image of God but is not, like the per- is not God himself. We are not God but we are God's image. We are not the ground in the way that animals or, or minerals or rocks are. We are elevated above the ground because God's breath is in us. And so, what I want to suggest is that um, that this passage gives us a sense of, of value, vocation, and vision. Value, vocation, and vision. It gives us value in that uh, it says that you are good. You're very good. It says the creation is very good. It says you are beloved. You are like God. You are made to be his, his image, his representative. You have dignity. You have personness. You have value. What's important um, whenever we think about the Bible is not just what it says, but what it doesn't say. And, and then, like, what is... A lot of um, people, Billy Graham, John Stott, uh, a lot of you know famous Christian leaders over the years have said, you know, um, the Christian should have the Bible under one arm and the newspaper under the other. And Alan's like, yes, that sounds great. Um, what they're getting at now, you don't have to have the newspaper under another, but we, we read the Bible with an awareness of the world around us and what are the messages that are coming into our hearts and minds from the world and what is the message that's coming from God? And when we consider what God says about your value in contrast, in contradistinction to what the world says about your value, it's really quite significant. Because um, if you were here at the Christmas party, I mentioned this philosopher of games, um, C. Tai Nguyen, who's really interesting. And he points out that in like video games and all kinds of games, um, there's a point system often which helps you know what you're chasing, what is, is you want to aim at. Helps you know your telos. But he, he uses games and compares it to social media and he says, when social media companies come in and use the point system, it's quite intoxicating because it feels like a game. But if it's intoxicating, it's, it's therefore toxic. And when you have a point system about your social life, when you have a point system about your your identity, and in social media we kind of put ourselves up there and, and represent our identity. When there's a point system for that, it's, it's really toxic, and so we have this strange, strange system in our world right now where the more likes you get, and now I'm sounding like a pastor from the like 2015, it's like, it's not all about likes, it's like, that's, that's been done, but um, you know, it's, it's true, the more attention you can um, draw, and the more affirmation you can draw uh, on something like social media or, or just online in general, the people who get more attention end up getting heard more. And like the algorithms elevate the people 
who, who get more attention. So if you have more likes, you can actually be more heard. You can be seen as more valuable, right? There's a reason why Nike has not come to me and said, hey, Lockie, you like basketball. What if we gave you millions of dollars to wear our shoes and do some slam dunks on the ring outside at MCVC because the, the ring's lowered and everyone would be like, oh, cool, Lockie, that looks like fun. You're wearing Nikes. And I'd go, yeah, you should wear Nikes too. Nikes never, never will do that, but they'll go to LeBron, right? They'll go to um, Jason Tatum. They'll go to all the people who have lots of following, lots of likes, lots of attention. But not once does God put your value, your your worth alongside the attention you get, the things you even make or do. There's nothing in the creation story which says um, the further up the meritocracy you are, the more valuable you are. Or the further up the, the class system or social strata you are. There's nothing here about your worth being based on anything other than you were made in his image, made by God made for God. You are very good. You are valued. You are loved. And so we have this opportunity where we don't have to self-create. We don't have to to be people who who have to create a self because we've been given a self. We can discover our true selves as um, Paul says in places like Colossians. We can search and find and understand who we were made to be because we've already been made by God. And so we don't need to make ourselves. We don't need to be self-made men or self-made women. Rather, we get to be people made in God's image who then create wonderful things, who make beautiful things, who get to be creative in lots of different ways, which brings me to vocation. I don't know if... I do know, actually. I do know that basically every person here has wrestled with the question at one time or another, what am I supposed to do? How do I know what I'm meant to do? What am I called to do? What am I meant to do? And if you can just flick over Ronald to the one that highlights vocation to help my attention. Um, What are you called to do? God basically says you're, you're called... To, to work for the good of creation. Will that be in leadership? Maybe. Will that be in just cooperating with others? Will that be in tilling the, the soil or um, making uh, new people, or raising a family or starting uh, a business or just contributing to your church or contributing uh, in your school or whatever it is specifically, the broad vision of what we're called to do is is serve the good of the creation. That being the earth, the people and everything that God's made. And it's it's a call of leadership, of responsibility. God says I'm going to make you like rulers. Now he never says I'm going to make you like dominating tyrants. He never says, you know what you know what your calling is? Your calling is to is power. Is, is just raw power and influence. He says be rulers, but he says rule by serving, rule by cultivating, rule by gardening. Gardening is just this metaphor which comes up again and again and again and again in the Bible. 
And I think it's because a gardener um, never gets to um, actually like fully assert themselves on on the creation. They have to work with it. You have to work with the soil that's already there. You have to work with the weather as it is. So you can do so many wonderful things, and, and I'm not actually going to specifically answer your question of what you're called to do, but I, I want to have a little discussion about um, what you're not called to do, because I actually wonder if in Genesis 1 and 2 we have a sense of vocation which actually narrows our vision of what we might be called to do. And I want to suggest that if, if, if it's not for the good of others it's probably not good to do. Now, that's not to put an unnecessary pressure on you that if you're doing a job which feels um, like you can't always see the fruit or see the social impact or benefit, that can be discouraging. I'm not saying that. But if it is harmful to the, to the planet, to people, then it's probably... In fact, I'm going to say it's definitely not good and it's not what God's calling you to do. So if you're working to create um, pokey machines, I don't think a Christian can do that in good faith. If you're working to, to create pornography, I don't think a Christian person can do that in good faith. If you're working to strip the earth of its resources just purely for profit and harm the environment and harm communities, then I don't think a Christian can do that in, in good faith. God says to, to go into the earth and take care of it. God says to go into the world and, and serve it. And so if, if what we're doing has no social value, has no value for the good then, then maybe we shouldn't do it. It's not going to bring God glory. It's not going to be acting in His image. God doesn't lure people into addiction, so why should we? God doesn't um, like pillage people of their resources so that the rich can just get richer, so why should we? Now, I, I think we can get more imaginative and expansive of our vision of what social value is, and we should also be patient so I'm not saying that you have to help someone. You should all go and become uh, nurses so you can help Gary with his broken arm tomorrow. Um, I don't know if nurses actually help broken arms. Probably um, selling the role uh, a little short there, and I apologise. But sometimes there's like things like ministry, medicine, nursing, these things which are really like clearly easy to see how they help people. I think we should be... And that's great. And I'm called to be in ministry, so it's, it's, this is kind of easy for me. I'm like, I think I'm helping people. I hope I am. Um, but we can be really expansive because we can help the world through like the infrastructure, the technology, the social fabric, the, the way we do leadership, the way we do networks, the way we do community, the, the way we teach people in schools, the way we do business, the way we sell products. Like, it's totally legitimate that you could be helping people while selling products. You could be in sales. You could be in retail. You could be... Um, there's so many different ways you can help people and serve people and, and work for the good of the world. And there's so many ways that you will never see the fruit of that. You might only ever sell someone the laptop 
that helps them do their schoolwork well or even just helps them game well and so relax and like, you know, it can be really important to help someone get a good gaming computer. It can be really important to help someone have like a great makeup product. You know, I've been going to Mecca a little bit lately. I'm learning a bit more about the, the products. It's a cool shop, man. It's a cool shop. Uh, so many like free little tools you can just take. And sound, I, the other day I tried a, a milk cleanser and I was like, this milk cleanser feels nice. And then I was like, it's kind of sticky. What's with that? And she was like, yeah, you meant to wash that off. I was like, oh, I thought this was like ASOP. It was like a, uh, a free sample of a nice cream, but I stunk for the rest of the day. But like, honestly, you can um, work in makeup for your entire life. And that could really be a way of serving people. Fashion, there's so much art and industry that, that can be for the good of others and for the good of the world. So please don't hear me and say everyone has to do something which directly helps someone else as clear as day. But may we all find ways to be servants in the world. May we all find ways to be co-rulers and stewards of this good creation. And may we all be prudent and cautious about just okaying stuff that is normal in our society that's just common and, and sort of accepted because it's part of the status quo. And, and I wonder if Christians are going to have to be the people who, who really say, it's, it's going to cost me. It's going to cost me financially to say I won't work with people who like pollute the earth to a degree that's, um, that's detrimental to society. I'm not going to work for a company that um, gets all its money from... Um, gambling or gets all its money from uh, sexualizing or objectifying people. May Christians be the leaders of, of saying what creates value in the world? What creates real good service and stewardship of creation? And, and let us have an expansive vision of what we could be called to do but that fits into that. What is going to serve our world? Because God clearly says here that he's made humans to take care of the world on his behalf. And being made in the image of God gives us value, but it also gives us vocation. And there's a challenge there. And finally, um, being made in the image of God gives us a vision. Uh, turn to Colossians um, with me. Colossians 1. It's in the New Testament. Um, Paul has a series of letters after um, Romans and 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, which are sort of big. He has these like, uh, letters, Ephesians and Galatians and Philippians and Colossians uh, and the Thessalonian letters uh, that are all like sort of four, five, six chapters long. Colossians is four chapters long. And in, in chapter 1, it says, verse 15, The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So we're made in God's image, and at some level, Jesus is the ultimate image of God. And then in Colossians 3, verse 9, it says, um, you've taken off your old self with its practices. Um, this is about like turning, repenting. And it says, you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. In some sense, the, the call of Christian discipleship of transformation into his image is what it is what it's 
means to be a new creation is actually to be not just made in God's image but becoming more like him again it's like we're made in his image and we are called to become like him as well we're to become more conformed into his image it's like um, if you're a uh, picture a kid I love this illustration um, picture a kid who watches their parent um, do something again and again so some parents are into like uh, like woodwork and like handyman some dads are into that if you know if you've ever had a handyman dad who's just always hammering away I did not have a handyman dad I had more of a cricket watching dad but um, that's okay some of you have had a, a mum or a dad who's like an absolute legend in the shed in the kitchen and they're like a chef they're like cutting up all sorts of things and like they know how to gut a fish and they know how to like stuff a chicken and I was like that's just amazing like you know honour to someone who knows how to gut a fish or stuff a chicken um, whatever it is just picture say one of those two a child has the DNA of their parent already and it is very possible that if your mum or dad loves cooking that you will too just because you're like you're made like them, you have their DNA. But when you watch them, if 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 a child sits at their father's feet and watches them work on the house all day, or if a if a, a, a child sits at their father's feet and watches him uh, cook and take care and and create beautiful meals all day, you're not only going to have their DNA, you're going to start to have their imprint on you, where you've not just been born like them, you've become like them, and you've started to take on the kind of person that, that they are, and you've started to, to not only be um, made in their image, but you're um, being remade and remade and remade and formed more and more into their image. And hopefully one day, you'll cook the meal that your parent cooked, and everyone will say, this tastes just like theirs. And I'll be like, because I watched them for so long and I'm also, like, my DNA is the same and even when we just, like, sprinkle a herb, we sort of sprinkle the same amount with the same thing. We are made in God's image and yet we're being remade and remade and remade into God's image. And God's image is, is what we're actually looking for. It's our vision for who we're meant to become. We're meant to become like Him even though we're made like Him already. We don't have to self-create because we are created. And when we're made in the image of God, we're created. We know that, that we're, not just, we're not just dust, but we kind of are. We're like beloved dust. We sit somehow above the ground and below God. And, and we need to stay below God because sometimes what can happen is like, you could preach some of this stuff to someone who didn't believe in Jesus and they'd be like, that all sounds great. And that's awesome. Like, it should sound great because God's, you know, creation is great news. But if you try and just achieve these things of your own accord, you'll fall short or you'll start getting self-righteous and it, it'll get corrupted. 
We have to stay below God, looking up to Him, our Creator, and knowing that, that we are made this way, that He has imparted into us dignity and, and belovedness and personhood. He's given us a, a role to play, stewardship and leadership. And He's given us a, a goal to strive towards, which is that He's transforming us into His likeness so that one day we'll all be like Him.